0: Welcome to the Leading by History podcast, where we take our listeners on a journey, walking and talking our way through history to delve into some of the deepest thoughts, concepts, ideas, issues, and challenges. We know you're going to enjoy your time with us. Come along for the journey, Leading by History. We look forward to getting to know you better. Welcome back to another episode of the Leading by History podcast. I'm your host Masiahu Raul, and it is a pleasure to be back with you again. Uh, today we have um, a great episode coming up. Today with uh, Dr. Vince Bantu, and uh, he's going to be taking us on another journey for season four of the Leading by History podcast, and we want to welcome him to the show welcome dr vince bantu
1: oh thank you so much great to be here
0: all right so for our listeners um you know can you just give us a brief overview of you know who you are what work you're currently doing so that the audience knows why you're with us today and your area of specialty
1: oh yeah yeah um well um yeah, as you mentioned, you know, my name is Vince Bontu, and I, um, I actually uh, wear a few hats. Uh, I um, am the director or the ohene of the Meacham School of Hymenote, uh, which is an Afrocentric, biblical uh, graduate school of theological education. Um, and, uh, and then also I teach at Fuller Theological Seminary in the areas of church history, and Black church studies. Uh, and then also, I, uh, I'm actually based in St. Louis, Missouri, where I uh, co pastor uh, a church called Beloved Community Church, and uh, in the west side of St. Louis, where we, where we minister and live. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and then my area of expertise in terms of writing and speaking is early African Christianity. Um, you know, uh, that I'm uh, working on have a couple of books out, uh, one on early African Christianity, one on more modern black theology and working on right now a couple of books. Uh, one of them is on early Egyptian Christology, and then the other uh, is actually a uh, translation reader of early African and Asian Christian texts.
0: Mm. So as the audience knows, uh, the leading by History podcast is not a show that's religious in nature. So we're purely historical but yet we always seem to have guests on that have a religious uh, focus and emphasis for their work. And that's on purpose because if we're gonna deal with history, then we need to deal with history in total, which means that we need to cover uh, the social, the political, the economical, the cultural, and the technological realms of history, those, those features of history. So um, you know, part of that cultural piece is religion. People's way of life, their faith traditions, their spiritual systems, and so the reason why I invited Dr. Bantu on today was because I came across uh, one of his interviews on a show that I was on with Dr. Cindy Parker, in which he was talking about, um, you know, medieval and even earlier church history from an African-centered uh, lens. And I thought that that was extremely interesting, and I think that we need to delve a little bit into that. Now, I don't know, uh, and most likely, you know, with your schedule, you may not have had the opportunity to peruse our program, but in the previous seasons, we talked about, we had a a series called the Black God series. And the Black Gods uh, series is one of the most listened to of them all, and it's predicated um, on the idea that Marcus Mosiah Garvey was one of the uh, initial reminders in American society post-slavery of the idea that we needed to see our religious beliefs and our spiritual systems through the lens of Africa, as he said, through the eyes of Ethiopia. And as he began to um, create this idea of Black godism, seeing God through the eyes of our people in our struggle, it it gave birth to many other movements. And so my area of specialty as a historian is turn of the 20th century religious nationality movements. And so groups like uh, the the Nation of Islam, groups like the Moore Science Temple of America, uh, groups like the Black Hebrew Israelites, the Rastafarians, even though that's not an American system, its roots come from here. And so I see Garvey as an early progenitor of this kind of, of thinking in, uh, in the Americas. So when I came across your information, I think you know it's, it's really important to sort of see where Garvey would have possibly gotten some of his thoughts and ideas as he studied uh, the ancient world and some of his teachers along the way in our traditions. Where did he get this idea of Africanness? Uh, with regard to Christianity, or, you know, as he said in in some of his speeches, you know, God the Father, God the Son. So we know there was some uh, Christological um, ideas with Garvey, though he didn't profess any specific um, denomination, but it seemed to be very focused on Africa. So uh, I wanna talk about some of that today with you and go through some of that content. So first of all, I guess I wanna know what is your main language of proficiency when it comes to uh, the medieval or even more ancient world? What, what's your, uh, your, your, uh, your specialty language, if you will?
1: Yeah, I would say I primarily work with um, early Christian languages that came from Africa. Uh, so, you know, I was, uh, and, but also a little bit from the Asian continent. So I, my, my degree, my uh, doctoral degree was actually in Coptic uh, and Syriac literature, mm-hmm. but I also work a lot with Ethiopic uh, or Ge'ez literature. So I would say those are probably my, my, uh, my main ones. And then lately I've been doing a lot more work with classical Arabic and also Nubian language as well.
0: Mm, Fantastic, fantastic. So that that's going to be very helpful in the discussion today. So how does the study of ancient languages um, and culture, how does it influence your worldview? How 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 does it currently influence your worldview? And then in your beginning studies, how did it influence your worldview?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I would say, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that the language the study of languages has a significant influence on, on my, you know, worldview, like theologically or politically or, or socially. Um, but for me, I, I mainly read ancient languages in order to be able to uh, understand, you know, the, the history and theology of Christianity, especially in, in an African context. Um, and so, uh, but of course, I have my own kind of socio-historical, cultural, linguistic context that I come from. Uh, you know, kind of in an urban context in St. Louis, that is a lot more formative for my own personal, you know, worldview and, you know, my own kind of spirituality and things like that. But, but that's kind of what, you know, what really leads me into uh, ancient languages is really just to connect with and also provide more access to early literature that came out of Africa that's not as available as, uh, as other, you know, sources that came out of the Western context. So
0: I understand you saying that the, the languages themselves are not, um, you know, indicators of, of where your worldview may be, but it seems to me that in the study of, of languages and opening up ancient resources and texts, that the language provides access to those resources, which I would think influence your worldview in some way. Would that, would that be accurate, that the language is maybe a key to unlocking the door to how you maybe see the world um, with relationship. I would guess to your religious practice, or like in other words, what's the the real importance of the language? I know you want to expose people to ancient literature, but there has to be, I would think, some kind of personal benefit from from that.
1: Oh uh, yeah, as I mentioned, you know, I would say that. Um, You know, one of the things that is is beneficial for uh, for me personally uh, is being able to connect with and uh, really be able to learn from uh, and also provide access to other, you know, uh, cultural contexts, and especially, uh, uh, you know, as a Christian and one who's interested in the history of Christianity and also someone who's of African descent, you know, that's something that's, you know, of great interest to me Um, and so. Uh, And so, yeah, I would say it's actually more so my worldview that has led me into the study of these ancient languages. Mm,
0: Okay, now that that that's interesting. Okay, Um, And so um, because what I'm trying to drill down to is like, for me, I think that the study of of language is extremely important. Right. Like for one's understanding of their faith, um, for, for one's understanding of their of their cultural background, language seems to be this key and, uh, you know, for example, in the Islamic world, um, you know, anything that's translated out of the Arabic Quran is considered a commentary, right? It's not really allowed to be called Quran, right? If it's not in the original Arabic. And so Muslims around the world are, um, you know, encouraged to learn the Arabic language because that's the language of Quran. Now, of course, their worldview is is guided by their religious belief system in Islam, but the language unlocks the door for them to understand it better, right? Like if, if we're reading uh, an English Quran commentary, which is what they would consider it, or English translation of the Quran, some would say uh, that that you know Abu um, uh, Bilal Phillips says that Dr. Uh, Abu Bilal Phillips says that the Quran can't be translated, right? This is his particular view that only bits and pieces of the ideas come forth into other languages. So it seems to me that that language piece is extremely key because an American Muslim who is not speaking the Arabic language as their first language is missing some aspects of understanding the deeper meaning of Quran because they don't have access to the language or the vocabulary. So I, I, my understanding from my experience is that language is, 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 is the key to really getting back to peeling back the layers of, of the history and getting a better context for whatever it is we're studying in general, but especially a religious belief system. Do you, do you feel that your grasp of these uh, different languages um, em- empowers you to really gain that understanding or, or if you have the view that it doesn't matter whether it's a translation or not. Um, I, I'm just trying to gain from you like the the importance because you, you put a lot of time and effort into studying the language. And I want the audience to understand why that's so powerful to be a polyglot or a hyperglot or whatever the case may be. Like, you know, you, do you get what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say, you know, as I mean, I would say, as I mentioned that, um, one of the benefits of it for me, have, you know, having the opportunity to be able to study these languages and, and really make texts uh, and literature and uh, really civilizations available to people that haven't been as available to all of humanity, but, you know, especially people of African descent, um, is something that is a value to me Uh, Just, just so that people can be more aware of the history, the rich history that people of African descent have, and that also uh, that that believers, that Christians, uh, followers of Jesus, also have. Um, And so, I think that's what's really beneficial about being able to, uh, you know, study the languages. For me, Uh, for me personally, um, you know, as a as a Christian, for example, I uh, I don't have the same worldview as a Muslim would that that One language uh, is somehow, you know, better or superior or connects one to uh, to their own religious context uh, better. Uh, Actually, as a Christian, we uh, you tend to have the view that that the gospel message of Jesus Christ, which is the kind of the cornerstone of our faith, uh, that it that it by nature translates uh, into other languages. And so I would say that, you know, again, coming from an urban African-American context in St. Louis. Uh, One doesn't necessarily need to know uh, any of these languages or any ancient context to be able to connect with God, but they can connect with God uh, exactly in their own space and context. Having said that, though, um, you know, and to your question uh, that I think it can be helpful. I wouldn't call it necessary, uh, but I think it can be very helpful. Uh, to be able to understand how, for example, the Bible was written and communicated in the languages and in the context uh, that it was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And then also, it can be helpful um, to understand how that then was translated into other languages, especially Coptic and Ge'ez and Syriac and some of these African and and Middle Eastern languages that the Bible was translated into very early, uh, in many cases, even before Latin or other European languages, that, that it can help to just add to the faith uh, and the kind of fundamental worldview that one has uh, and so I wouldn't call it necessary but it can be very helpful to be able to see uh, the fullness of God's story as played out in scripture and also in Christian history in you know different linguistic and cultural contexts
0: interesting so it's more uh, in your view of a, of a supplement um, right a- a- as opposed to being uh, a key component Right, like like in Judaism or in uh, in Islam. Um, so, how did your scholarship influence your faith walk? But then, listening to some of your responses, was it your faith walk that influenced your scholarships? So, what, what you know, tell me about that because a lot of times, you know, I I find that you know, it's my studies in my own religious practice, um, you know, are, you know, they, they, they become richer, uh, not in the spiritual practice itself, but the understanding of it, uh, it, it, it just seems more powerful the more that I study and research and the more that I learn more about others who practice the same faith tradition. It, it, it helps to, like, really just sort of give that 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 positive boost to say, wow, like the the views I have or the things that I'm feeling here, I'm seeing people thousands of years ago contemplate the same things, uh, deal with the same challenges. Right. And so uh, as opposed to just studying for the sake of studying, just to say that I know something, I feel that I have to be in my work somehow it has to enhance who I am as a, as a human being. So how, how has your scholarship influenced your faith tradition or, you know, vice versa?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I would say that it's, it's been, you know, it's really been a mix of both that, you know, both kind of my own faith uh, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus is something that's at the cornerstone of my scholarship. Um, You know, I, I, it was actually my own uh, sense of, you know, call and being a pastor, and also being a Christian and my, my heart for wanting to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with the world that even led me into even scholarship in general, wanting to study theology and biblical studies uh, at an undergraduate, then later at the graduate level. And then be and then wanting to feeling called to to uh, at a doctoral level and then also to teach in areas of theology and Christian history uh, and things like that 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 all came directly out of my own sense of of call from the Lord um and and also my own faith tradition and particularly you know I had an interest in again what we what we talked about a minute ago the way that the Christian message, uh, by nature, translates itself into other languages and cultural concepts to the point where there is no uh, linguistic or cultural or racial center for the Christian faith. There's no language that's considered holier or better or a better way of connecting with God. There's no race or ethnicity, um, but that uh, that from a Christian standpoint, all people groups uh, can connect with God through faith in Jesus Christ directly. Um, and so that that, that truth that's at the core of our message has been uh, in many ways obscured through systems of white supremacy and uh, Westernization and colonialism. And so that's a really big part of what makes me very interested in trying to access some of these African and Asian, and especially in a pre-colonial period, to see uh, some of these theological resources that did exactly what you know I was just mentioning that 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 contextualized and translated the gospel message into their own linguistic context towards the end goal of of really trying to draw attention to the global nature of the Christian faith and how it's been that way from the very beginning, and so you know that's really a lot of my like spiritual and also kind of socio-cultural uh um you know kind of positioning or values that led me into this area of study and i would say that uh on the other side that the scholarship has really affected and enhanced that worldview or that kind of spiritual and socio-cultural perspective uh in many ways as as i've gone deeper into many of these studies um i would say that my a lot of the kind of presuppositions or theological and cultural p- perspective that I bring to the text that I would say all of us bring to any text that we study. I would I would say it's impossible to, to divorce oneself from their own cultural and ethnic and racial and political and theological perspective when they come and approach any particular text. Um, and so I would say that as I've come to those texts with my perspective that they have also been enriching and also helping to grow and expand uh, you know my my worldview in and really kind of enhance it in many ways. I mean, just as you know, one example. Um, you know, I, I I you know really already had this sense that God's truth was for all people. But again, because of the realities of white supremacy in, uh, in academia in all forms, and even in many dominant expressions of Christianity, I had no idea that Christianity did have such a long uh, history in Africa, even long before colonialism. Um, and even without knowing that, I still knew and understood and believed Uh, even though I was being taught that Christianity came only through the Roman Empire, then Europe, and then later white North in the Americas. And and then I was told a narrative that it came into the lives of people of color much later. And even having been told that false story, I still believed and understood through my faith that God's truth was was could be contextualized for all people, but when I was in you know going into graduate school and studying, and I learned that there was this long history of Christianity in Africa and in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, that was a a profound effect. That was a, an academic or just a historical, as we you know as we say here on this you know the podcast, looking at history. That's those are historical facts. That deeply just expanded and encouraged my spiritual faith uh, in understanding that that Christianity had such a long history, uh, and not. And then I would say another thing. I mean, there's probably a lot of examples I could give, but I I, I want to be mindful of time. But I would say maybe one final. Uh, historical observation or one kind of scholarly pursuit that also encouraged and really just enhanced my my spiritual worldview was to learn that not only was Christianity present in Africa and that it entered in freely without any colonialism or oppression, but that the version or the expression of Christianity that was dominant on the African continent was actually uh, very different from that which was in the European continent. And and there was even actually tension uh, between the Christianities of the majority of Africa and Europe, and so that was something that uh, that really just kind of blew my mind. And, uh, and I've, I've my mind's been blown uh, through my scholarship in many other ways and many other examples, but those are just some that yeah would immediately come to mind.
0: And so we don't have a history of of knowing one another. I reached out to you, you know, cold call, so we don't have a, a, a background where I feel. Uh, as, as comfortable with uh, a certain level of pushback. But on the show, we do pushback, right? Because the audience has questions and they, they're going to have certain perspectives. So I guess one of the things that I would um, bring note to is that I think that no matter the faith tradition from those that I understand, monotheistic tradition specifically, I would say, um, or Abrahamic tradition, faith traditions, um, that there is a belief, even in um, some of the language-rooted faith traditions, that the creator can reach us wherever we are. I don't think anyone would deny that, whether in Christianity, Judaism, or Islam, that the creator has the ability to speak and understand every language, right? And, and however we cry out uh, to the creator, the creator, can hear us. Um, yet, yet, as you made the statement that in the beginning, in the initial question about um, how, you know, these things were, were purely supplemental, the the language, the studies, etc. it's interesting that in the end of the things that you were expressing about the mind-blowing, um, you know, understandings that came from the research, that you talked about this Uh, diverting path between European and African Christianity. You also mentioned white supremacy. So we do know that the Ku Klux Klan is officially on record as a Christian organization, right? And I think the Christian Science Monitor actually did, um, you know, an article on that a couple of of years ago. So the Klan's a Christian organization. So... um, while it is, I guess, for a believer in Christianity to say that they believe that it is a, a, me- a universal message that can be uh, uh, tra- that can transcend language, I wonder how white supremacy, colonialism, and all of those things, and even before that time, when you talk about the Roman Church, this diverting path between, Christianity's origin story, which is in the East, and then into those um, pockets of, of understanding that develop, like w- what, what's the cause there? What happened with that? Uh, if, if, if this universal message, um, you know, transcends culture and Klein and all of that, then why these diversions of the largest uh, forms of Christianity? Right, a billion, 500 million folks today. What, what what's the cause of that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I would say um, that, and I, I go into this in the book Multitude of All Peoples. Uh, that that you know helps to draw some of the connections between some of the more well known history uh, that people of African and indigenous descent, and you know, in this hemisphere. Uh, or might be familiar with in some of the ways in which uh, a white supremacist expression of Christianity, which I would actually call no Christianity at all, its mm. uh, biblical sense has encountered and impacted and, and, uh, and oppressed the lives of people of African and indigenous descent in the last 500 years. And what I, what I do in the first part of the book is try to show some of the history that actually was leading up to that, because my historical contention is that, um, is that, is that the, the, um, kind of the phenomenon of, of, or kind of the explosion of white supremacy in the form of global colonialism that really got going in a major way in the 15th century, that that didn't occur in a vacuum or that wasn't actually the beginning of, of white supremacy or even white supremacist Christianity, which again, I would call no Christian at all. So I sometimes use the term Christendom as in order to distinguish between actual uh, speaking as a pastor and as a as a religious person uh, to speak from the perspective of true Christianity uh, as opposed to Western Christendom, that that, 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 that expression, of Christendom is not something that just started in the 15th century, but it actually has a long history before that, and so, I, you know, to answer that question of, yeah, what happened, I would say that beginning in the 4th century, you had a process where Christianity started to take on the form of Christendom in the Roman Empire with the alleged uh, conversion of Emperor Constantine, and then after that, in the year 451, there was actually a major schism between the global church. Now, the, the church, again, up until the, up until the early 300s, when Constantine, uh, the Roman Emperor at that time, allegedly became a Christian. Uh, that that there was no uh, there was no sense in anyone's mind that Christianity was associated with any one particular empire or culture or people group. Uh, that Christians were in India, they were in uh, Nubia, they were in e- Egypt, North Africa, Europe, uh, Central Asia. They they were all over the world and they were not associated with any one culture. But when the Roman Empire began to attempt to usurp Christianization for its own political and colonial projects and interests, then people around the world began to see Christianity as as this Roman religion. Now, many Christians in other parts of the world that were not Roman did not see it that way because they understood that they had been Christians since the first century, since the time of Jesus and the apostles. And they were part of a trajectory and a history and, and a Christian heritage that was not associated Associated with Roman imperialism or domination, but the, that, that, that began to be a, a, a dominant perception that people had in the world that it was becoming this Roman religion. And then in the year 451, that was the major breaking point at the Council of Chalcedon, where the Roman church articulated a particular expression of theology that was unique to their cultural context. And then uh, when it was not agreeable to many Christians in Africa and the Middle East and Asia, they actually, the Roman church actually began to oppress Christians in Africa, the Middle East and Asia. And so this mm-hmm. is actually when you had the beginnings of, again, a Western Christendom or a, a belief that one particular cultural, geographical, political entity, in this case, the Roman Empire, uh, felt that their their expression of Christianity was the only expression of Christianity, and then began to associate that with, with truth and with biblical orthodoxy, and then impose that upon other people. And we're still dealing with that even today. And so again, I would say that, you know, groups like the Klan or or, or uh, any other group that that associate that espouses Christianity, but are associating that with white supremacy, American nationalism, or any other form of dominance or supremacy, is not actually a Christian in my sense of the word. And I would not associate myself theologically or religiously with such a group. I would not consider them a fellow Christian. Uh, as I, but because my understanding of Christianity, as it's taught in the Bible, is that it is a faith that does translate, as you said, to all languages, all cultures, and there's no sense of cultural domination therefore if one group is promoting it or espousing it in that way they have actually diverted away from christianity and gone off into some other religion that i'm not associated with uh because as we said the what happened in 451 and, and in the early fourth century was a diversion from biblical christianity which was not meant to be associated with any one particular race or cultural or ethnicity
0: mm. So let's, let's chew on that, uh, everyone, the response there. And we're going to take a brief commercial break. We'll be right back. Hey, as a listener to the Leading by History podcast, we want to tell you about some exclusive opportunities available to you as a listener. If you go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today, you'll find that there are three tiers of support that will give you exclusive access to our program. We've got the official patron level, the all access tier, and the highest level, the VIP patron level of support. If you want to find out how you can have exclusive access and have impact on what we offer Go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today. All right, we're back with uh, Dr. Vince Bantu, and he was just explaining to us before the break about how these, uh, I guess you'd be comfortable with me saying these perversions of of Christianity, like the Klan and other organizations that are ethnocentrists in in their focus and exclusionary are not real representations of the early church. I think it's very interesting when we talk about white supremacy, when we talk about colonialism, because uh, these things have done a number on African people around the world. And uh, there's definitely much to say about that. Um, So as we come back, uh, I want to talk about in our uh, second half What connection does ancient Christianity have to ancient Judaism? Do you have any information that you can guide us to? I have the ability to to share the screen here because, you know, we do a vodcast and podcast, so people are able to see imagery. That's why I pulled up a picture of your book as you were talking about it, uh, Multitude of Peoples, right? Um, So if if there's any place you want to send me to or something that you want me to look up or something you want to put in the chat, I can pull up. Uh, for for the uh, those who are watching to see. But I, I just want to know, what's the connection between, in your view, right, um, between ancient uh, Christianity and Judaism? Is there a, a connection between the two? And what does the literature say about that in the uh, writings of, of the church fathers, the African uh, church fathers specifically?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I would say that Uh, there's a strong connection uh i mean you know jesus himself was jewish and you know most of the early christians that were mentioned in the new testament were jewish and the new testament refers to the hebrew bible uh copiously and and also presents itself the early church presents itself as and presents jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy of hebrew prophecy uh jewish prophecy that jesus was a jewish messiah And the understanding uh, from a Christian perspective is that that the Hebrews were God's chosen people and that through the Hebrews, that God would bring salvation to the entire world. Um, And so this is how the New Testament presents itself as the fulfillment of prophecy and specifically, in you know, Acts chapter 10, you see the first Gentile or the first non-Hebrew uh Christian come to faith and is a part of and is included in the people of God. And now the people of God now includes uh, you know, Galatians use the language of grafted in, uh, that that non-Hebrews are now grafted in or brought into the people of God by faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of whether or not they are Hebrew. So it's a it actually uh this ties in really well to some of the things we were just talking about about what actually does uh, make Christian theology distinct in a way. so it's it deeply rooted and connected to Judaism uh, but at the same time it's distinct in the sense that uh, that that first of all the belief for Christians is that Jesus Christ uh, is, Jesus of Nazareth was God, uh, that he's fully man and fully God and that he died on the cross for the sins of humanity and rose again uh, and that by grace through faith in him, that everyone can be saved everyone can be part of god's covenant people uh so it's not a matter of circumcision it's not a matter of of ethnic background or it's not a matter of linguistic or geographical or cultural affiliation uh, but it's only a matter of faith in the saving work of jesus christ and so that's what even in the new testament we see uh is how the message of of uh that's in judaism is amplified so it's uh and and and, and you know different christians have different ways of of talking about the relationship between Christianity and Judaism. And I would say uh, Christians have different ways of talking about it from a theological standpoint, but also even historians have a different way of talking about the relationship of these uh, faiths. There's a, a book called The Ways That Never Parted that talks about early, just from a historical kind of standpoint that talks about the the deep relationship between Christianity and Judaism. Um, and one of the one of the uh, because you know one of the dynamics of the early church was there was a question on how. Um, how Christians should understand themselves with relation to Judaism. Uh, and, and you know, different Christians had different ways of doing that, uh, you know, especially uh, in the European context, there was actually a high degree of anti-Semitism, especially even within uh, so-called Christians. And again, this is something that we don't see in the Bible, but we also see in many early Greco-Roman Christian texts. But one counterexample, and you asked about Africa in particular, one counterexample to that on the sub-Saharan African context is actually the ways in which which in Ethiopia, for example, there is and still there has been and still is a very strong connection uh, and a very strong affiliation with Jewish practices and an understanding again of of not that uh, Christianity negating. The Jewish roots of Jesus and of the Christian message, but actually embracing those roots. And so Ethiopian Christianity, for example, has a has a strong high degree. In fact, probably the highest in all of the early church and one of the highest in the modern Christian world today of connections with and symbolism that come from Judaism, with a a view that I would also ascribe to, again, speaking just as a Christian and as a pastor, of again, Christianity not being antithetical to or hostile to Judaism, but, but understanding itself as deeply rooted in uh, and then finding its fullest completion it, by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, yeah. No,
0: no, no. I, so I, w- I want to, because I, I want to go a little bit more than topical, right? I want to, I want to go a little bit deeper, you know, and in, into the, uh, the epidermis of the, of the conversation on this. In other words, to go ben beneath the surface and and into uh, the skin of it all, um, how did Africans in the early church uh, perceive themselves with regard to Judaic practice? Because, for example, we have, uh, you know, I this is a very interesting conversation for me because I have, of course, my own uh, religious. Uh, uh, spiritual background, but this is the show's not about me and what I'm doing. Uh, so that's why we brought you on to be able to share with us. But just from from my experiences, um, I, I, I struggle to understand and this is not my area of expertise, but I struggle to understand how we see such a level of anti-Semitism. Uh, one of my uh, my buddies, Dr. Michael Brown, uh, wrote a book about the church and anti-Semitism recently, but he he started his career with a book called Our Hands Are Stained with Blood, uh, in which he he talks about the anti-Semitic uh, position of the church. We know that Martin Luther, the reformer, um, you know, wrote a book called Of the Jews and, and Their Lies, right, um, where, where he tells the um, you know, he writes these letters to the G- Germanic princes and says that wherever you find the Jews, you need, you, you need to burn down uh, their, their synagogues, take their land, uh, burn their books, their Christ killers, right? And this is, this is the reformer um, for the Protestant movement. So th- we see clearly in the early uh, church writings that I have perused that this quote unquote Judaizing um, was was something that was a problem when we look at the Inquisition in in, in Spain and and, and and in Portugal, where we see these Iberian Jews being uh, put out of of the country. 1492, Columbus couldn't even leave from the general ports of Spain because they were filled with with Muslims, uh, Moors, and and Jews that were being kicked out of the country. Um, So when this uh, Catholic uh, Federation comes together with Ferdinand and Isabella, where they're bringing power to the Catholic Church, uh, you know, people were burned at the stake. They were tortured. Uh, This is what created the idea of crypto Jews. Right. Which which gives us today B'nai Anusim, uh, as we say, Um, those who are the the sons of the of the hidden ones um, that had to hide their. Their, their Jewish practice, because if you kept Shabbat or you, you kept kosher, uh, there actually were patrols that would go through the communities in Europe. And, and if they saw Jews and Jews claimed to have converted to Christianity, uh, they were like, here, eat this pork sandwich to prove that you, you actually are a true Christian. So when we look at Ethiopia, and I've known uh, Rastas personally, they've taken their Rastafarianism very seriously. And I was told Again, this is not my area of expertise, but I was told that if you truly wanted to follow, and I know that there are several Rastafarian pathways, you got the Shanti, you know, you got, you know, uh, 12 tribes, etc. But that if you really wanted to be authentically Rasta, that you would join the Holy Ethiopian Church, right, and, and, and follow uh, the, the prescriptions of, of said church. And there is a community in Ethiopia today of Rastafarians who were given land by Haile Selassie uh, to come to the land and live there. And those communities are still there today. Um, And and so when I look at the Ethiopian church, I see purity laws, uh, ritual purity laws. I see laws about women, uh, menstruation. Um, We see laws about how food is uh, prepared. Uh, I see the incense, the myrrh, uh, we have the idea, some would call it mythology, or, uh, or the, the belief that the Ark of the Covenant is still there in Ethiopia, being protected. I tend to look at Ethiopia, and you brought it up first, as one of the uh, Christian churches that has the most Judaic expression uh, out of those. But we see in European Christianity that it's, it's outlawed to, to be a Judaizer, right, so walk me through these Nazarenes, right? Because uh, we know that the Nazarenes were a sect of Judaism. Uh, the apostle Saul is considered in the, the book of Maasei uh, the book of Acts to, to, to be the ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes, right? And it's only after uh, the period of the apostles that we see with the development, the continued development of rabbinic Judaism, we see these prayers and, and um, these um, these ben, uh, benedictions against the Menim or the sectarians that comes out later to drive out these sectarians that may have uh, messianic perspectives, um, regardless of which Messiah they they were following. So you know, where are the early African church fathers with this? Do you see in the literature? Uh, this, this grave difference between how Judaizing is perceived and understood?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say there's a, there's a significant difference. Um, and, and I think we have to clarify what we mean when we say African, uh, you know, which could, you know, go, go take us a far field, because I know we're coming up on our time. But uh, but I would say that, you know, when if if I'm going to talk about Sub-Saharan Africa or, you know, keeping it on, you know, Ethiopian and Nubian context then I would say that, yeah, you do see a very significant difference between that and also some of the anti-Semitism that you see in early Greco-Roman Christian history or even Martin Luther or, you know, um, other things that you see in the European context, which again, as I've already said, is uh, not something that is a diversion or a, and a perversion of biblical Christianity. Um, and, and you know, you, you mentioned Ethiopia, and there's a, you know, the long history of the belief that Ark is there. And there's a, also a text called the Kebra Nagast, Gas, which mm-hmm. was written in Hundreds that talks about Ethiopians literally being in the lineage of King Solomon. So Mm -hmm. there's a, to the contrary of a lot of the anti-Semitism that you see in much European Christianity, uh, there's actually a strong desire to associate oneself uh, even with the ancient Hebrew lineage. And you see the same thing even in India with the Kannanayya community as well, with having an understanding that this is a modern ethnic group in southwestern India that are Christians, but that understand themselves to be in a in a kind of Syrian or Palestinian Jewish ancestry as well, and um, and and so you you know you see the same thing uh, in many different contexts as well. But I, I would, so I would just I would say that yeah there is a difference in many sub-Saharan African or South Asian Christian communities, uh, and and with especially with respect to uh, the uh, the relatively higher um, instances of anti-Semitism that you would see in much Western and European Christianity, which, again, is uh, against the teachings of the Bible. So so why would that be,
0: right? In this universal message, how do they get it so wrong in Europe?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say, and, and again, I, you know, if, I don't know if you still wanted to include some of the other questions. I know we're yeah. coming to time, but I would just quickly, you know, respond to that by saying, um that I think we, you know, every religious community uh, has people and adherents that divert from the teachings of any community's sacred text, and that would be disavowed by many other communities. I mean, you see this in Judaism and in Islam and in Buddhism and Hinduism, that you have splinter communities that that you have people who are, would be considered by others as being not orthodox. Uh, uh, And so I would say that, in the you know, there's a lot of examples of people who would claim to be Christian, uh, that I would say, and others would say are diverting from true Christian teachings. And in the context of the Western world, uh, one of the one of the pivotal, uh, and foundational pillars of the Western world is white supremacy, uh, and also religious. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that that is a major reason as as to why we see many of the evils and many of the atrocities that have been done by people of European descent who claim to be Christians. Many of whom I would say are, are not actual Christians, uh, and that that's you know why you see these instances of you, you mentioned Inquisition and uh, and you know anti-Semitism, colonialism, slavery. Uh, I would say that it's actually a belief in white supremacy that is their ultimate religious conviction, even more mm-hmm. to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm.
0: So which languages influenced the theology of the ancient church the most and why? If, if there was, because I know early on you were saying for you personally, language wasn't that you know much of a pillar in your system of belief, but um, did languages influence the theology of the ancient church? In other words, as they move away from the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew text, do do you begin to see then a change in theological views as they get further and further away as the translations begin to grow into these vast asian and african
1: languages yeah that, that um i would say that um do you, you definitely see uh change in theology that's that's largely uh, influenced by language i mentioned earlier the the Council of Chalcedon, which in 451, which was one of the biggest kind of schisms in the early church. And uh, it was a debate over theology and Christology and how to talk about the humanity and divinity of Christ. And and the kind of dominant Roman church in Europe came up with a particular formula uh, or way of talking about the humanity divinity of Christ that really was rooted in their own linguistic and cultural concepts where they said that Jesus is one person, but he has two natures. And you know, that in Greek, you know, that's one hypostasis and two physis. And and so that's, again, not language that comes from the Bible, uh, even the New Testament Greek Bible. And it's really language that is more Uh, and words and concepts about the difference between person and nature that come more from kind of Greco-Roman culture that they use to talk about this. And that really didn't make much sense uh, and and was seen as heretical in many other cultural contexts, especially in Asia and Africa, where this doctrine was rejected, this uh, idea of orthodoxy. And that's actually still the reason why, even to this day, many of the oldest churches uh, in in Africa, we mentioned Ethiopia, but there are others as well, and in in the continent of Asia, that there are many churches that still to this day are not in communion with the dominant European church. And then you mentioned Protestants earlier, most European Protestants uh, have also just kind of followed the European Catholic view uh, and also European Orthodox view on that issue. Um, But again, a lot of that theological debate was uh, around issues of what is the difference between a person and a nature and how do those words do they even translate in other languages, which in some cases they actually don't, uh, and they or they translate differently. And so that's just one example. But but yeah, to the question of like which one had the most influence, uh, I would say it really depends on the context. Uh that you know in the Greco-Roman world, you know, theology done in Greek and then later in Latin had a lot more influence. But on the on the African continent, uh theology was being done in Ge'ez, which was the classical language of Ethiopia. And that was actually some of the expressions of theology that spread into other parts of of sub-Saharan Africa. And then if you're talking about the Asian continent, uh, hands down, uh, no doubt, the language that was the most influential for the earliest spread of Christianity on the Asian continent or the continent we now call Asia was a language called Syriac that actually uh, is a dialect of Aramaic, but eventually spread all over as far as China and India and even Southeast Asia. And that would have been the language in that context. So yeah, I think it would just depend on the context.
0: And so um, b- before we wrap up, w- what's the importance of Africa with, with regard to the ancient church?
1: Yeah, I, I would say Africa is extremely important uh, for the ancient church. Um, you know, there, it was very diverse as it is today, but some of the most influential theologians in the history of Christianity came from the continent that we now call Africa. People like Athanasius, Origen, Tertullian, Perpetuan Felicity, um, but also i would say that africa is extremely important for the history of christianity but but not only that but even just history period because when we talk about african history uh, and especially if we're talking even apart from one's interest in christianity if someone's just interested in studying african history from a world history perspective uh, it is impossible to study african history especially during the late antique and medieval periods without studying african christianity because it was actually African christians who produced the largest amount of historical evidence, whether that's written texts or architectural structures, if you study the African continent it, during the first millennium, you, you inevitably have to study Christianity because it, Christianity is at the heart and center of Nubian and Ethiopian and Egyptian and North African civilizations, which in the first millennium were the largest and most influential civilizations on the African continent, they were all predominantly Christian, and most of the archaeological evidence is Christian churches and monasteries, most of the paintings are Christian in nature, and so Christianity is integral to just studying African history, which in turn is uh, significant for world history.
0: And so finally, as we come to the end of our program... Uh, what would be your charge to the audience uh, with regard to the conversation today, uh, with regard to scholarship and study and research, um, you know, what would you want them to walk away with today, uh, understanding about the, the importance or possibly the unimportance of, of language, uh, culture for context and understanding? What, what's your charge?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say, uh, really that, um, you know, language is such a beautiful thing. And it's something unique to the, you know, the humanity. Uh, And it's so beautiful how it takes on different forms and, and really reflects the identity of a particular people and a particular context. Uh, And it also really helps us to communicate and understand through translation, helping understand one, another group's worldview and context. So so I would say uh, really just two things is that for people to really understand and value their own linguistic context, whether that's their language, their dialect, their accent, the and how that's a reflection of where they're from and their community. Um, and so I would say really understanding that there is no language that is holier or better or uh, more proper uh, or but but everyone's language is a unique reflection of their people and of their community and to really value that and to teach on it and and to embrace it. Um, And then I would also say uh, that I think it's really important, um, and I think it can be very beneficial and helpful to learn other languages and to be, I mean, unfortunately, we live in one of the most monolingual uh, nations on planet Earth, and I think it does a detriment to our intelligence, to our cross-cultural abilities. And so I think after one's understanding and value of their own language, I think it's really important to understand and learn other languages as much as they can. And I would also say, and this is coming from my theological standpoint, I would also say that because the Bible actually teaches uh, believers and followers of Jesus to actually value and promote the things that have maybe gotten less attention in the world, uh, the way history has panned out, even more. And so in, from that perspective, I would even even give an extra plug to learning languages uh, that have been marginalized and that have been put to the side and that have been, have been really um, uh, oppressed and suppressed throughout history to especially really unearth and learn those languages. Uh, and, and for me, that's both in the modern and just as a side note, I'm actually in the process of learning how to speak tree, which is the mm. And so whether it's mm-hmm. from modern context or from an ancient context, I personally think that learning languages from the African context, indigenous to the African continent is very helpful and important.
0: Wow, so that, that was really a great outro for us. And I thank you for being with us today. Of course, with these kind of things, if we had more time, these are discussions that could go on and on. I hope that you as the audience have been inspired by Uh, the conversation, and no matter your faith tradition or your racial background, you know, learn more about your language, your culture, dig into those things that are important to you with regard to to language, and get that uh, historical context to really understand not just where you came from, but where you are today. We thank you, Dr. Vince Bantu, for being with us today on Leading by History, and from those of us here, we say to you, peace. Thank you for tuning in to the Leading by History podcast yet again. We appreciate your support. And as always, never take what you hear on face value, but always go and investigate the sources. Look, until we get together again on another episode, we want you to stay safe and we say to you, peace.